0: we're going to shift gears uh, this morning um, and uh, instead of talking through um, economic principles, we're going to uh, start to deal with uh, some of the institution uh, ideas that came out of uh, critical theory and how those were being addressed and how those are addressed today. So if you recall, we said uh, a few weeks ago that one of the main ideas, one of the main uh, goals of the ideas of critical theory being promoted and propagated, was uh, what they called a long march through the institutions. And so we addressed uh, the f- different institutions that that could um, that the ideas could enter into. And uh, we talked a bit about academia, but today I want to talk uh, about one of the most important ones, which is, is family, the institution of family and how these ideas were being promoted to enter into uh, the family. Um, <clears throat> now, one of, uh, one of the leading proponents that I've mentioned before of critical theory is a guy named Herbert Marcuse. Marcuse, uh, if you uh, read any of the literature, his name comes up pretty, uh, pretty regularly. Uh, he, uh, he's one of the more prominent uh, writers and, and thinkers of critical theory uh, early on. But in, in uh, 1955, he wrote a very popular book called Eros and Civilization, and there he was taking the ideas of Sigmund Freud and then trying to adapt them using this uh, critical theory. And uh, I argue that uh, these ideas or this book specifically and the things that Marcuse was trying to do with the ideas of Freud are uh, one of the primary drivers that is responsible for what we say in terms of the downgrade of ideas with regard to family and sex and sexuality. Um, If you know anything about Freud, uh, he had the idea that the instincts that we have as human beings, uh, that those are found at the infantile stage of development. Now, some of this gets a little bit weird and certainly twisted and and gross, but um, he believed that from birth uh, that human beings have a characteristic polymorphous perversity. Now, that's a big term. What does polymorphous mean? Yeah, multiple forms. So Freud argued that human beings have multiple forms of perversity that they're born with. And he argued that if we just leave children alone and observe them, then we could see all of these perversities playing out. And uh, I'm not going to go into the details of that. And he wrote extensively about it, and it's, um, it is exactly what he says. It's perverse, uh, not on the part of the child, on the part of Sigmund Freud. It's, uh, it's, it's quite uh, disturbing, actually, to read some of this stuff. Uh, but this was, this was uh, much of Freud's ideas about humanity and what we should strive toward and uh, how we should eventually uh, think about how to help people uh, psychologically is based on these ideas of polymorphous perversity. So when you hear people, uh, in, especially in the realm of biblical counseling, attack the ideas of Sigmund Freud, this is one of the reasons why. His whole idea of humanity, of, of human beings and his understanding of how we function and how we interact with one another, this is one of the foundational principles. And so if your foundational principle is that from birth, from birth we're all a bunch of perverts... Um, then you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have a lot of implications that play out in other areas of life that uh, are not going to be uh, they're not going to be healthy they're not going to be good. So, of course, Marcuzzi really loved these ideas, um, and especially the idea that uh, to be human is to have these instinctual drives and desires, and those instinctual drives and desires affect our behavior um, and. The problem is that as traditional culture, as traditional society, well, we're always just working to suppress those things. And so if you take again, what's the framework we're thinking of? Sort of the Marxist ideal is there's this oppression or a suppression of, of natural uh, ways of living, of a natural way of working things out. And if a traditional society is suppressing that, what would the Marxist idea be that we need to do? Set it loose. Let it free. We need liberation. We need to break free from all of this. And so instead of adapting to these cultural norms of behavior when it comes to our uh, polymorphous perversity, we need to to break out of that. And so Marcuse took these ideas, he revised them through the lens of critical theory, and he developed a, a cultural framework for sexual liberation. So, remember, this is 1955. What are the 1960s in America known for? The sexual revolution, right? A few of you, very few of you, lived during that time. Uh, From what I hear and what I read, uh, some things got a little crazy. Um, But this is one of the primary drivers behind that. Um, And again, we have to think in terms of ideas. Things don't just... Happen. They don't just, out of nowhere, spring up, right? This was, this was one of the primary things that led into the 1960s and the sexual revolution. And, uh, and most people don't even know what it is or have never heard of it. Um, and yet, it, it really changed Western civilization in a very significant way. So, Freud's conclusion about polymorphous perversity was that it had to be uh, that traditional culture from very early on was suppressing that in a child's life. And so uh, when children did things and their parents saw them doing those things, the immediate response was that the the parent was going to stop them from doing that or tell them they they can't treat other people that way or they can't do that to themselves or whatever it is. Um, and, And Freud did submit that if we just let things run free in the way that he says is our natural drive, then we'd have a hard time living in society together in any way that was civil. Um, And so there needed to be some semblance of order if we're going to live in civil society together. Well, Marcuse thought that Freud uh, shouldn't have um, put any limits on this, and so he wanted to to break free of that a little bit more. All of that restraint, that was the problem, not the solution, according to Marcuse. So the only means of individual freedom was to unravel this sort of repressive strategy uh, to, to squash what our natural instinct or desire was, according to him. So um, how do you think, then, that Marcuse suggested we would come about this liberation? How is someone to be liberated if all we have had our whole lives is a suppression of uh, polymorphous perversity? What do you think the key to liberation is, uh, according to what he writes in Eros and Civilization? Yeah, Rob. Okay. Yeah, that's part of it, that our, our whole idea of education and parenting and discipline and, and how we go about that, certainly that, that would need to change, right? What else? Yeah, that's it. Everyone needs to just be set free, and, uh, and the problem is bound up in, um, in monogamy. The problem is bound up in, um, in having... Uh, one-on-one relationships with another person. And so the primary driver, the primary idea behind liberation was that we need to have numerous sexual encounters with as many people as possible. That's true liberation, according to Marcuse, as he's building on the ideas of Freud. Um, And so right away, hopefully, uh, all of us can identify uh, there's some problems here, right? (laughs) But... Again, this is not very long before uh, these ideas really started to take off. Uh, this very quickly ramped up. And, and you can imagine that these were very popular ideas among an audience, especially in uh, academic institutions. Their first time away from home, and someone's telling them, hey, you've been repressed. And the, the source of your repression is really sexual. And so what you need to do at 18, 19 years old is you need to go out and have as many sexual experiences as you can, and then you're going to really experience freedom. You'll have true freedom. That's where it's at, right? And so what was the result, as we think down the road, what was, what was the result of this so-called freedom? What's that? Okay, yeah. The whole, the whole revolution, and what are, the, what are the consequences of that? The STDs were, went through the roof, right? I even mention, say, Charles Manson, yeah, it it yeah. It was they were all on drugs. That's part of it. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Sean. Yeah, exactly. So when does, when does abortion become legal or, or a, a so called protected constitutional right? Yeah, 1973, right? So even 10 years after this. But, but why did that become such a big deal? Because you have the 60s. You have this time period where everyone all of a sudden is, uh, is being liberated sexually, right? And so they have all these sexual partners. And then all of a sudden, by 1973, we have a fight to be able to, uh, to go and kill the unborn. Right, so we have the rise of STDs. We have the fight for abortion. Uh, we have uh, that's when you really see divorce rates start to skyrocket. Yeah, yeah, good. And we'll get more into that. But this really, uh, this is the beginning of a drive for the push to accept uh, homosexuality as a culture, and especially on on the coasts. You saw this uh, predominantly in New York City and uh, San Francisco. Uh, two places where it's still uh, very uh, strong today, but this was the beginnings of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there's other institutional things at play, definitely. This just being, this just being one of them. But the, 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 the focus here is the family. And the, again, these are, not, these are not ideas that just, these happen to be the consequences. These were intentional efforts uh, to break down these ideas. Remember, we said that the whole, the whole idea here was that we are going to create chaos through the institutional breakdown. And we'll get into that more as well when we get into postmodernism. Caleb? Right. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a little bit. The transgender homosexuality agenda. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're moving... So the idea being we're set free when we recognize, as Christians especially, um, but I, I don't. one need not even be a Christian to understand this, that we're actually entering into uh, another form of, of bondage, of slavery, right? Enslaved in this cycle. Um, and so <clears throat> all of this is going on, and... Any kind of repression was just, to Marcuse, as he was writing, a social construct of the oppressive class. Well, who would you say uh, he was targeting to say that they are, uh, they are the ones who are most responsible for the suppression of sexual identity in the repressive class? Christians, right? You know, one of the big problems... Is that the church? The church is just too restrictive in terms of their sexual ethics, and so uh, what they want, what they are promoting, is not natural. Right now, if you base all of this on a naturalistic worldview, uh, the argument you can imagine is what? Look to where? Where should we look as people who've simply evolved from uh, from the sludge of the earth? to become what we are. So where do we look? Look at the animals. They don't have monogamous relationships. And so why should we as human beings, right? The animals are really free. They roam freely. They have as many sexual partners as they want. And therefore, uh, we need to copy that so that we can truly live free just as they do. The problem is those people in the uh, the repressive class, the oppressive class. And who is that? That's uh, predominantly the church and those who accept sort of these traditional ideals that have been propagated by the church. And so um, the problem, too, is that as time progresses, uh, these things become more restrictive and, uh, and eventually uh, you get ideas to where this isn't uh, we're, we're not going to have, and they, uh, we're almost arguing that there will come a time where maybe uh, socially that it, this won't be acceptable at all. And so before that happens, we need to break free of these ideas and, and, and move on from that. So um, it was during the 1960s, this book became very popular, so much so uh, that uh, Marcuse became a hero um, in 1968, in Paris, there was a, a student revolt and uh, they were marching through the streets and they had banners that said Marx, Mao, and Marcuse. And, uh, and he was so popular because of these, again, you have a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds, first time away from home, being told, hey, you can be liberated, uh, just go find as many people as you can that will have sex with you. And that was, uh, that was the idea. And so, again, this rejection, this complete rejection of any biblical principle with regard to human uh, sexual ethics. Um, one of the other problems, as has been brought up, they assumed, was that not only is this about how many partners you have, it's also about what kind of partners you have, right? So this whole idea of, of uh, heterosexuality, that, is, that too is repressive. We need, to, uh, we need to do away with that. And so, in the 1960s, the idea is just sexuality in general. By the 1980s, the idea is heterosexuality starts to, uh, to be attacked. And then, in the 21st century, it's, uh, it's the very idea of gender itself. That we don't look to biology anymore to determine whether or not someone is a man or a woman... We ask them, well, what do you feel like? What do you think that you are? And, uh, and so much so uh, that uh, there are states in the United States, uh, there are state governments that are starting to expand uh, the, uh, the spectrum in terms of genders. In Canada now, I think they are up to 70-something gender identities and if you work for the government and you refuse to use someone's preferred pronouns, uh, you can be brought before a human rights tribunal and tried and even fined and jailed if you uh, don't do what they've asked. Uh, there's been major controversy over the last uh, three or four years over that because a guy, a professor by the name of Jordan Peterson, has, a, has gone after that in, uh, in Canada. So, uh, we're, we're not far behind. But again, here's where the ideas come from. Right? To sexual liberation in the 60s to 2019, uh, that biological reality is now itself defined as a social construct. So much so that even scientific, the scientific community is starting to question whether or not we should think biologically. Um, there was a, a, an article recently from the American uh, psychological institution, talking about um, gender being something that is not a biological reality. And so, uh, while you may have the sexual organs of a male or a female, that your gender is something that's determined by how you feel and want to use those sexual organs. So... yeah in general, you would think natural biology in terms of uh, right their evolutionary perspective on on animal biology that that would defeat the argument, right Sure, the patriarchy is very yeah. strong in the animal kingdom, yeah <laughs> I don't yeah, what Josh referring to just uh, last year toward the end of last year there was a, a group of um of university professors, and they were lamenting the fact that uh, these uh, these academic journals were becoming so ridiculous in the things that they were promoting and publishing that they started writing a bunch of fake journal articles to see if they could get them published, especially in, like, these feminist journals. So one of them was uh, not only accepted and received and published, but was applauded as one of the greatest works that they had come to their journal. And the guy wrote about how he uh, did his research by going to local dog parks, and watching uh, watching the sexual ethics of the dogs in the dog park, and uh, how it proved that there was this dominant patriarchy that was trying to uh, take over and assert itself. Um, and he learned all this by watching the dogs in the dog park. Well, the uh, editors of the journal applauded this, this is wonderful uh, work, everything else, and then as soon as it was revealed uh, that these were all fake, of course, all the articles come down, everyone's shamed, and... Uh, and that, though, is, that's all a part of this, right? This is, right, you can say anything other than, uh, hey, you guys are crazy. Like, <laughs> the, the whole idea that this is, this is crazy, that, th- that we've completely gone off the rails, that's the only thing you can't say. But what you can say is that I have some idea of, of the patriarchy. I have some idea of repression. I have some idea of what needs to be liberated by watching dogs in a dog park because these, these male pugs are really, uh, they're the problem, right? They're just identifying a larger problem with humanity, and we've trained them that way. Um, so we've moved from Eros and civilization, mid-50s into the early 60s, to now gender on a continuum. And the heteronormative identifiers of male and female are outdated. They're, they're oppressive. They're part of a, a traditional class, an idea that uh, we have to eliminate. Yeah, this, is all, this goes directly to the issue of, uh, of the image of God, how God created us. He created us in His image. Right, so... It's, it seems to us, and it should seem to us, unfathomable that anyone could in any way argue, um, well, should be able to argue on any, at any point during the, the cycle of one's, um, uh, of one's life in the womb that it's ever okay to end that. But uh, over the last few weeks, the idea that there was argument... In a state, Congress that a child could even be born outside the womb after a failed abortion and just allow it uh, to to die. That this is the governor of Virginia said. Well, this is uh, this will be up to the mother and the doctor as to whether or not they ch- seek to uh, to preserve the child's life outside the womb. And and we hear that. And and thankfully there was a little bit of outrage, but not as much as there should have been. I mean, now we're we're moving even beyond the arguments for abortion to uh, out-and-out infanticide. Um, and, and there's even now a, uh, a more prominent uh, professor in a university who's saying that, um, you know, it, until children are about two years old, um, they really can't function on their own in any way, shape, or form. And so even maybe we should be asking up till the age of two as to whether or not we should be able to decide whether or not we want uh, to keep them or not. Now, this is happening in our country, right? 57, 57 is when you can start to... <laughs> really start to figure things out, right? Exactly. All, all of this, and, and the reason we're looking at these things, again, ideas don't just happen in a vacuum, right? They're, they're building. There's these building blocks that are, are being... Are, are being put into place. And so you climb to something or, or descend, I guess, to something. Uh, how do we get to a place where it seems like not that far of a jump that now we're talking about outright infanticide? Well, it started with um, hey, we need to be sexually liberated. We need to have a lot of sexual partners. Oh, well then when you do that, people start to get pregnant. And I don't want to have a kid with them, so we need to legalize abortion. Oh, well, when is that acceptable? Well, they don't feel pain until they're 20 weeks, and so let's do it up to then. Yeah, but why is it different at 20 weeks versus 22 weeks? Well, it's not, so let's up the number. And then we just keep moving toward, oh, well, now you know they're not really uh, civilized until they like, start to think about that at the age of two. So let's, let's extend it. So is it any, any wonder how we get to a place like that? All of that starts with an idea, and ideas have significant consequences. Um, and that's not that long ago, right? What, 50 years removed, 60 years removed from some of these ideas? Uh, and, and their implementation into society? It doesn't take long for a rejection of God and His design in order to get to a place where things are seem to be completely out of control. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point, Rob, that the coherence and the co- consistency of a biblical worldview is, uh, is what all of us look to, hopefully as Christians, as we think through these things and why immediately our thought is, this is utterly insane, right? I hope, we, I hope that we all watch the news with a little bit of, this is insane, right? These people are crazy. Why? Uh, again, because they don't have they don 't have the same framework to think through because they 've not been uh, redeemed ultimately they 've not their hearts their minds have not been transformed so it 's easy for them to pick up these kinds of inconsistencies along the way to say, "Well, this makes sense, but this and and so there 's something uh um, it 's often talked about in terms of Christianity, depending where you go in a culture, there are ideas of Christianity that become very attractive to some while the others don 't and they could completely swap so at least up until uh, fairly recently, uh, sexual ethics of Christianity were a pretty popular thing to talk about in in the South in the southern United States um, but um, But there may be other things about Christianity that uh, the South uh, has. Uh, struggled to, uh, to work through. Um, and then you see sort of this reverse of ideas when you go somewhere like New York City. Well, the sexual ethics in New York City are completely repressive, right? But uh, some of the other ideas about maybe um, uh, misconstrued, as we talked about last week, but ideas about serving the poor and all that, those, those could be very popular things. Right, Because there's an inconsistency, so we'll just pick and choose from sort of this worldview that we want to make fit into this framework that we have, and hopefully we'll get to a place where we want to get. Uh, but who at that point is defining what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, what, is, what society should be and shouldn't be? It's the individual. And when, that, when we agree on that, fine, but is anyone ever going to agree uh, enough that we could base a culture on that? Not possible. Derek? Yeah, that's a great point. That that's that's one of uh, one of the really important arguments for the consistency of the worldview is the connection of the Bible. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, and the, to take it further, you have. Guess, gosh, yeah. yeah. Well, to to add to it, other ideas gaining prominence, and so on the other end of the life spectrum. Uh, euthanasia has become something that's not only talked about more popularly but is becoming legal in uh, uh, not o- only other countries but in certain states. I think Oregon and California are adopting bills with regard to euthanasia so that when someone is of, uh, of a certain age or they're dealing with a certain disease that they uh, can have a doctor assist them in committing suicide. Um, and so... Well, how does that come? Because of this whole idea of devaluing life. Well, what's the next step from there? Well, across the board, if you want to you end your life, no one should be able to tell you not to, and therefore um, we should, in fact, provide the means in order to do that. Um, and so in that regard, where, where is our value in life? Again, as Russ was saying, it's a complete ta- attack on the image of God, the very idea that we are created by God in His image with a purpose. And life has value, and therefore we have an obligation to protect life and not end it at every stage of development, all the way on through uh, the end of life. And 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 don't think that the the reason why there are prominent stories about these questions um, are are popular or become famous because they just happen to uh, to catch the news's attention. There. There's there's an intentional effort. You remember uh, a f- few years back the uh, the uh, issue of uh, the girl Maria sh- Shivo, I think her name was. Yeah, she was uh, sh- she was um, she was incapacitated physically, mentally. They assumed, and so uh, there was the family wanted to uh, part of the family wanted to keep her alive uh, through feeding her, and the other family essentially wanted to starve. Her to death so that she would die. Well, that became a, a national issue, not because that doesn't go on regularly. That question goes on regularly. Why does that go on? Because we need to move the bar a little bit. We need to talk even more about. Well, we're just trying to be compassionate, and so compassion means that we just take someone's life, right? So what's the what? If you think through these things, what what's the primary arguments for something like abortion. Well, you don't want children to be born into a world where they're raised in a home where parents don't love them and take care of them, right? That is such a well, of course it is. But that's, that's the reasoning, right? That's the reasoning we're given. Why would you want a child to come into the world where they're not loved and cared for? Um, so the answer is to end their life. To kill them, right? Uh, so you see this like... So you, you could... Uh, it's fathomable that you're in a hospital where down one wing of the hospital uh, they're ending the life of a child in another. Um, they were born at 24 weeks and they're fighting with everything they have to keep them alive. What's the difference? Whether or not they were valued and wanted. So that becomes the question. Are they wanted? And for the people involved, the real question... What do I think of what God has created? The value and image of man. The tower, towers of Babel being erected left and right. Sure. And when, you're, when your foundational ethic is, you know, whatever. It's your own construct. Or it's what you've, what you've learned in the academy. Or what you've been told is the true means for liberation. Or... Whatever it is, like you can, you can come up with all kinds of things, right? And so these ideas to the natural mind, they don't seem all that crazy, do they? And I have, I have some more that we'll talk about. Yeah. yeah we man, right? Yep. Exactly right. Everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. That's the natural state of man, right? That's, and that's the tree. Not, going I'm going to do that on my own. That. Uh, Drew and then Josh yeah that's and and that's you know uh, Solomon deals with Ecclesiastes that there is nothing new under the sun these aren't these aren't new ways of doing things if you um, uh, in fact, if you ever read um, uh, plato 's Symposium, uh, you want to talk about some really weird, crazy sexual ideas, so this stuff was going on uh, several hundred years before Christ came, so this isn 't like some new uh, way of trying to go about doing life. There's new ways maybe of describing it or packaging it so it looks different, but um, but all of these were very prevalent. So one of the... I'll get... Just one sec. One of the things the Bible mentions is, is something like uh, bestiality. And we think about that and just think that is utterly insane, right? It is just... It's vile. It's disgusting. The fact that we even would talk about it, is, uh, is repulsive. Um, did you know uh, last year Canada, uh, their Supreme Court, um, legalized bestiality in Canada? It's, it's a federally protected right to engage in bestiality now based on the idea of uh, an animal who doesn't basically run away is giving consent, and therefore it's acceptable. So the Bible addresses that, though, right? I mean, it's talked about in the Scriptures, so this isn't some kind of new perversion of man. It's it's just repackaged and now being talked about on a on a level that uh, wasn't possible before because uh, we couldn't we couldn't know what was going on on the other side of the world. And now within minutes we we know everything about everywhere else. Yeah, go ahead, Josh. Yeah, good. It's exactly right. And and we'll we'll get uh, into more on the on sort of the tail end of things like. As the church, we can identify these problems, but what, what now? Like, where do we go with that? Do we just do we sit around and lament the reality of these things and hope it doesn't get worse? Or is there anything that the church can and should do? Like, well, I want to push pause on the question for uh, several weeks because I want to spend a lot of time uh, dealing with that. Um, but, but it is important, and I'm glad, I'm glad there's thought being given to that. Okay, I know these things... But what is the reality of it? Well, ultimately, any problem we're going to dr- address, any problem we're going to bring up, any reality that we see, um, th- the only answer that we can give in terms of hope and, uh, and any kind of forward progress is the gospel, right? The gospel is the answer to all of this, that, uh, that, that mankind hears, knows, believes the truth, and, uh, and it is that very truth that really does set us free. And apart from Christ, there is no freedom. There is only bondage to sin and slavery. And therefore, all of these things, whether we're addressing sexuality, um, uh, th- the things of human gender, if we're talking about uh, the academy and academia, uh, the ideas of oppression, and, and even things like slavery and uh, social injustices, whatever the question is, the answer is the same. It's the gospel, right? Yeah, Donnie. Sure. Yeah, and it goes to what Steve was saying earlier that if you don't have a consistent foundation that you understand to be not just right and true, but infallible and inerrant, um, then anything goes. And we see that, right? I mean, uh, it's like every month there's some new denomination that is just completely falling off the rails, or some seminary that has hired someone that has brought them into a new direction to where. You know, it's uh, it's the old adage like this is this is good so long as it lasts. As long it was a good run, but eventually uh, it it falls apart because of of uh, where people are willing to compromise. It's always moving uh, moving the bar. So yeah, yeah. And I would add to that not only uh, personally and within the local church, but that uh, that God's people have. A responsibility and obligation and need to be involved in the civil realm. And and if we're not, then we, we just sort of hand off any opportunities we have to preserve an environment where we can openly and freely proclaim the only hope that anyone has in the midst of this mess, right? And so, um, and, and that's, the, that's the primary reason why Christians ought to be involved in any civil engagement. We're out of time. I'm glad that there's a lot everyone wants to say, and I'm glad it's been a good, uh, helpful discussion. I want to continue next week to talk about uh, more uh, toward the family as a unit and, uh, and where we've seen that go, and specifically with issues of fatherhood, masculinity, femininity, and, uh, and where that's gone uh, as a result of some of these early ideas in, in critical theory. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time. Uh, we're grateful for the discussion we've been able to have today. Uh, Lord, it can, be, uh, it can be very weighty for us to talk about these things and to start to uh, think about where they were, where they've gone, where they may be headed. And, uh, and Lord, there may be a sense in all of us where uh, we can begin to, um, to have a, a hopelessness or to be exasperated by it all. And Lord, while we, uh, while we pray uh, that we greatly desire the Lord Jesus to come quickly, um, at the same time we recognize uh, that you have equipped the church with all that is necessary, uh, that we can live lives pleasing to you, that we can proclaim the truth of the gospel. Uh, at this time and place, in this age where we are, you've given us the freedom and the ability to be able to proclaim that uh, loudly and clearly to the listening world. May we take full advantage of it. Uh, may we take advantage of every opportunity you have given to us uh, to make known the glorious riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. To not compromise, not back down, to not devalue uh, humanity uh, created in the image of God, but in all these things that we would understand your law, its application, and the hope and remedy for all of the ills of the world being in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you do all of that for your glory for the strengthening of your church, for the redemption of mankind. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.